Now may the words of my mouth, may the meditations of all of our hearts be acceptable to you, O God, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Well, just a quick word of thanks to Anne and all the members of the choir for that offering. I don't, I can't imagine the amount of work and dedication that requires. So thank you for blessing us with that offering. We begin a new sermon series this morning. Sermon series I've entitled Hungry. We're going to look at different hungers that you and I have, hungers that are common to the human uh, condition and hungers that uh, the, the Christian faith has uh, satisfies in, in really remarkable ways. So how does our faith satisfy our hungers? And one of the things we hunger for is community. That's a theme you have heard throughout this morning, whether in the scriptures or in the reflections, the, the, the value of a church community coming together and offering praise. We all hunger for community, and the Bible affirms this from the very first pages. Genesis states that man and woman were meant for a community. The Psalms celebrate this. We sing this, a version of this in our congregational praise, how good and pleasant it is to dwell together in unity. Jesus' final prayer was for the unity of the church. May they all be one. And the last book of the Bible, the book of Revelation, ends with a multi-ethnic, multilingual community gathered in worship. So the Bible validates your hunger for community. It is not good for man nor woman to be alone. The Bible assures us that our hunger for community will be satisfied, more than satisfied. Just look at that feast uh, that these people are enjoying. That is a good sense of the, the type of satisfaction that our faith will provide. However, the Bible is very clear-eyed about the difficulty of maintaining a healthy community. And while social distancing self-isolation, they certainly do not make community and easy. Uh, community is always hard. It's always been difficult to, for different people to stay together for any length of time. And in our passage this morning, one of the passages, Romans chapter 14 and 15, the author, who is the Apostle Paul, helps the church in Rome navigate a potential threat to the community of the church. And we're going to observe four principles in this passage that foster a healthy community. Principle number one, a healthy community strives for unity, not uniformity. Number two, a healthy community practices deference, not judgment. Number three, a healthy community practices discretion, not declaration. And number four, a healthy community prioritizes Mission, not maintenance. While I will have the screen, the, the various texts in front of you, it will be helpful for you to have the Bible out in front of you. And after we make these observations, we're going to conclude by applying these principles to an issue of today. So let's jump right in. A healthy community is marked by unity, not uniformity. Here is the passage. It begins, the argument begins really in 14, chapter 14, verse 1. And here is a section of that argument. And I highlight this passage because we can see that one of the threats to the church community is diet. A brother is grieved by what you eat. You can see the various texts that I have highlighted, highlighted that uh, draw our attention to diet being a significant uh, source of concern. Now, why would that be a, pro a problem? 
Recall that the early church was primarily a Jewish church. Jesus was Jewish. The disciples were Jewish. Uh, the first converts were Jewish. But eventually the church began to expand past its Jewish, Jewish roots to include Gentiles. And so Gentiles joined the church. Now, you are probably aware that a part of Judaism, food restrictions are part of Judaism, maintaining kosher laws. And the early Christians who were from a Jewish background maintained some of those food restrictions. And obviously those did not apply to the Gentiles. They had no such thing as kosher laws or any such concerns. Uh, the same thing applies to holy days. Uh, Holy days were practiced by the Jewish people, and uh, they were practiced by many Jewish converts to the Christianity. To Christianity, and these are referenced in Romans chapter fourteen, verse five. Many of you practice holy days; those being the Jewish, the uh, the Jewish members of the Christian church, while the Gentiles did not. They did not observe holy days. And so, the big question of the early church was how do how Jewish do Gentiles need to be in order to be Christians? Makes sense? It's a big question. And through the book of Acts, that is the primary question. And in Acts 15, the answer comes back, well, not very. Gentiles do not need to be very Jewish at all. And so here is the passage, uh, the resolution that comes out of the council at Jerusalem. Let's not put a heavy yoke on the Gentiles that our fathers weren't able to bear. It is enough that they are saved through the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, just as we are. Problem solved, right? Not so fast. Because although the council settled the decision on doctrinal matters, the decision still had to be implemented in the local church. And the church in Rome was full of Gentiles and full who did not observe Jewish traditions, and the church in Rome was full of Jewish Christians who did observe uh, those traditions. And this was a significant barrier to the community of the church, which, left unchecked, could cause a rupture. It's a big deal. And so we begin in Romans chapter 14 with the argument. And we're going to see that the Apostle Paul, the author, navigates this very tricky area with clarity, with, with uh, sensitivity, with, with a really deft pastoral hand. And his argument begins in Romans chapter 14, verse 1. And I highlight this passage uh, for this one statement. Do not quarrel over matters of opinions. And I do not believe, actually, opinions is, is the best word uh, because a few verses later, the, the Apostle Paul clearly states his opinion that food restrictions are not a part, let me go back to that passage, that food restrictions uh, should not be part of the Christian faith. No, you and I do not practice food restrictions. Uh, they are a thing of the past. But, uh, as, as I write there, he is persuaded that the Lord, uh, persuaded in the Lord that nothing is unclean in itself. So he is clear on his opinion, and his opinion, as I said, is the practice of the church. However, he relegates this to his, a matter of opinion. Perhaps, Secondary matters is a better statement. Let us not quarrel over secondary matters. Some people 
follow food restrictions. Great. Some people don't. No big deal. It is not a primary matter. It is a secondary matter. We may think that a mark, uh, that uniformity is a mark of a healthy church, that the more uh, a healthy community is marked by uh, being more and more similar. The more similar we are, the more healthy we are. That is not the case. Think of Anne's musical piece. Anne's musical piece is beautiful because it has harmonies, harmonies produced by differences. Yes, there is a unifying melody, but it's the differences which make it beautiful. In the same way, there is a consistent melody of the church, a faith in Christ, love for one another. Yet around that consistent melody, there are differences which produce harmony and add to the beauty of the community of the church, said succinctly by Rupertus Meldinius, that's a heck of a name, isn't it? In the essentials, we must have unity. In the non-essentials, we must show liberty. Healthy communities can say, we agree to disagree in non-essential matters. Healthy communities are marked by unity, not uniformity. Second, healthy communities are marked by deference, not judgment. I highlight this passage to draw our attention to what is forbidden. Forbidden, what is forbidden is the passing of judgment on your brother. Now, you don't have to be much of a biblical scholar to know that the Bible is full of judgments. Uh, and the Apostle Paul was not shy of making judgments. I reference the book of Galatians as one past chapter, one book that is full of judgments of what is right and what is wrong. Yet, in, second, in matters of secondary importance, we should practice deference, not judgment. And so I move to verse 15. If your brother is grieved by what you eat, in other words, if a Gentile Christian eats food that grieves his brother, you have walked the way you have left the path of love. And further, you have forgotten the value of the one that you have grieved. He is the one for whom Christ has died. Follow the logic again, let me back up. If your brother is grieved by what you eat, if your liberty causes him to stumble, you have left the path of love and further you have forgotten the value of the one that you are grieving. On John Stott's last trip to America, I had the privilege of sitting with him and a small group of pastors. He shared some of his, of his reflections on pastoral leadership. And he said that pastors must persevere in loving the people of your church. He stated that we must, pastors, and applicable to all of us, we always remind ourselves of who our people are. They are those who are loved by God. They are purchased by Christ. They are anointed by the Spirit. Our deference towards others is based upon God's evaluation of them. They are those who are purchased by Christ. Always say how precious you are. And while I don't love the word precious, I agree with the sentiment. Our tenderness 
towards other, which is based on God's evaluation of others, is expressed by our deference towards others. Refrain from eating food or anything that causes your brother to stumble. Remember how precious they are. Deference, not judgment. To wrap up the quote with which I begin, in the essentials, unity, and non-essentials, liberty, yet in all things, practiced charity. Third, this passage teaches us that healthy communities are marked by discretion, not declaration. Well, I think the most profound part of this argument is the initial, the distinction between essential and non-essential matters. This point, I think, is the most applicable. Healthy communities are marked by discretion, and discretion is an underappreciated value. Yet, not by the Bible. Uh, The Bible holds discretion very highly. It is one of the primary subjects of the book of Proverbs. From Proverbs chapter 1, verse 4, the whole book is written to give discretion to the youth. What is the quality of discretion? It is simply this, the ability to speak, or more to the point, to not speak in such a way as to not cause offense. There are some people that you never have to wonder what they are thinking. That is because they lack discretion. The discreet person does not say all that they can say. They have opinions left unstated, some cards still left in their hands. And so back to our passage. Here is the Apostle Paul's uh, advice to navigate a potentially rupturous division within the church. And here it is, the faith that you have, keep it between yourself and God. That is just brilliant. He's speaking to the Gentile Christians. So God, you have freedom of conscience to eat whatever you want. Great, fantastic. Just don't walk into church eating a BLT. The faith that you have, bacon, lettuce, tomatoes, for those who didn't get that attempt at Zoom humor, Kosher is one of the, uh, pork is a kosher food and, or non-kosher food, so not allowed. Simply keep your faith between yourself and God. Now just think how healthy your neighborhood, your church, your place of work would be if we distinguish between essential and non-essential matters. Not everything is a big deal. Certainly there's some things that are, but not everything. If we defer to others in non-essentials, if we third practice discretion, wow. I mean, 95% of workplace conflict, neighborhood conflicts, church conflicts would just be a thing of the past. We're not done. Sorry, if I could have a child and my notes just hit the floor. If I could have a child, pick that up for me. The fourth mark of a church is mission, not maintenance. And here we come to uh, the reminder that Christian community is not an end in itself. And we come to the conclusion of the apostles' argument. The primary goal of the church is identified in verses 5 and 6. May the God of endurance and encouragement grant you to live in harmony with one accord in Christ Jesus. Now look at verse 6. So that, what is the purpose of living in harmony? The purpose of living in harmony is so that the church can join together with one voice and glorify God. 
the high doctrine of Christian worship leads to the humble duties of the Christian church. Does that make sense? Let me back up. The purpose of the church is to gather for together in worship, and the high doctrine of Christian worship leads to the humble duties of the Christian work of the Christian church. And what are those humble duties? The duties of prioritization between essentials and non-essentials, the humble duty of deference and the humble duty of discretion. Without them, the church, like any community, will grind to a halt. And for the church, its worship will be muted if the grease in the gears is not present. But with the grease in the gears, with these humble duties, prioritization, deference, and discretion, the church can live in harmony and fulfill its primary purpose to glorify God with one voice. So there we have it. Four principles for the unity of the church. Four principles that are broadly applicable. I want to apply this to a question that we're all thinking about, the question that Judy Palafutis, our senior warden, addressed. The question of when do we turn when do we return to normalcy, not just in the church, but life in general. I think our circumstances that some of the questions that we are considering are very similar to some of the questions that the church in Rome was having to navigate. There will be some who are cavalier. Let's go. Let's open. Let's open yesterday. There are some who will be more cautious. No, we should wait. There are too many unknowns. Let me apply some of these principles to the question of our day. Number one. Don't quarrel over matters of opinion. Reasonable people will come to reasonable and different results. Your personal cautionary steps within the bounds of our civil laws are a matter for your discernment. Some of the questions that the Glades are asking, who can our kids play with? Whose houses they can go into? When they can go into houses? These are important matters. And each one of us will need to come to our own minds under within the bounds of our civil laws. But reasonable people will come to reasonable and different results. Point number two. The author, the, uh, the, the Apostle Paul, stated that those with freedom of conscience to eat with whatever food they want should defer to those who conscience, whose conscience were troubled. And here is a passage. It is not good to eat meat or drink wine or do anything that causes your brother to stumble. In other words, those people who had freedom of conscience should nonetheless defer to those whose conscience, conscience were troubled. That is a picture of me and my face mask. Jennifer looks much better than I do. I don't love my face mask. I think it's kind of girly. The straps are too small. It feels like it's pulling my ears off. Yet, a girly face mask and uncomfortable ears are a small price to pay if, by wearing a face mask, I do not add to the anxiety of others. In other words, 
Even if you do not want to, you should, out of deference, do some of these things that are highly recommended, like wear a face mask, even if it's girly. Third and final, discretion. The faith or the resolutions that you have, keep to yourself. You do not need to post your personal opinions about your cautionary steps or your lack thereof on social media. You don't need to convince your friends and neighbors that you are right. The faith, or I could insert the resolutions that you have, simply keep between yourself and God. Fourth and final, remember the mission, and I'm speaking specifically about the reopening of the church. It is an important question. However, I just do not think that the question of when do we reopen is the most important question that the church is facing. Zoom is fine. I don't love it, but it is an adequate substitute. The more important questions return us to the mission of the church. Questions like how can this church serve the needs of our community? How can we support the work of Great Harvest and their efforts to provide food for needy communities? In doing so, uh, relieve some of the pressure on needy, needy communities. In doing so, elevate the name of Jesus Christ and his church in our communities. There are simply more important questions than when we can resume in-person worship. I don't mean to under, uh, undercut the, the, the weight of that decision. Of course, we're going to pay close, close attention. But there are missional questions that are simply more productive for us to focus on. So there we have it. Four principles of a healthy community. Unity, not uniformity. Deference, not judgment. Discretion, not declaration. Min mission, not maintenance. Unity, to discern what is essential and requires unity, requires wisdom. To defer to others who we may not agree with requires kindness. To practice discretion requires self-control. To stay on mission requires focus. May God grant us these things in our church so that our church can live in harmony with one another and in harmony, praise God in a unified voice. And may our church and may each one of us exhibit these things in the world. Amen.